Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Against small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google Workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial by going to nordpass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years, and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you the all, all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super exciting founder, you know, that we have today. You know, he's quite a dealmaker himself. You know, he's done multiple transactions. Today, we're going to be talking about, you know, building, scaling, and, you know, this rocket ship that he's in, you know, right now as the founder. And 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 I think that you're all going to find, you know, his journey very inspiring. So I think that without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Carl Cybrick. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. Appreciate being here. So you were raised in Houston, Texas. So give us a little of, um, you know, walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Memory lane in Houston. So uh, it was really more growing up in a typical U.S. suburb than uh, growing up in a uh, culturally unique uh, environment that is Houston. And it wasn't until after I left there and got a little perspective on, on other places that I started to realize that Houston's actually a super cool place. You know, there was that element of being a Texan, a uh, little bit of a uh, uh, little bit of pride there and uniqueness about being from Texas. But really, it was kind of like just growing up in a suburb. Now, in your case, I mean, what, what got you into into business, economics, you know, all of that stuff? Yeah. So it's family. You know, my dad is a marketing guy. He started his career at Coca-Cola Foods. Uh, which is why we were in Houston. It was the home of Minute Maid Orange Juice. 
uh, Maryland Club Coffee, probably some brands that maybe people don't recognize out there. So I grew up uh, kind of asking him what he did for work, and he'd talk about brands, he'd talk about consumers, he'd talk about competitors, how to be different. Uh, that's what got me into it. Now, for you, you went to Duke. You know, you studied there, uh, and you know, really interesting here. I mean, you paid for that. You know, with uh, you serving as a Navy officer, as a diving Navy officer. So, so what did that entail? Like being a diving Navy officer? Yeah, it was a tremendous experience. You know, for me, I wasn't going to be able to go to Duke and pay for it myself. Um, so, uh, finding a, an, an ROTC scholarship was initially just a means to to fund a college experience. And I came to really understand and appreciate and value the Navy and what I was learning from it. So it turned out to be a, a, a really uh, pretty amazing four-year job. Uh, being a diving officer uh, is uh, kind of all about grit. You know, people in tech like to use that word. Um, <laughs> you know, let's have the grit Olympics here. I could tell you that walking around on the bottom of the ocean in mud and muck with zero visibility uh, that's pretty gritty. So I, uh, it was a humbling experience. It was super hard physically, intellectually, great experience, figuring out what it really means to be a part of a team, to build a team, uh, to lead through adversity, just, a, you know, uh, so, uh, appreciate what so many of our, uh, fellow men and women do to serve, uh, for our country and other countries, but it was a great experience. I, I, um, I wouldn't be the, the person I am today if I hadn't gone through that. So let's talk about adversity. What did you learn about adversity and how to deal with it? Well, I mean, the first thing is it's, it's kind of cliche. It feels this way, but it's, it's your team. It's your teammates. You know, when stuff gets hard, you rely on the people around you uh, and you pull together as a team. You try to cut through everything that is not critical to the mission you know, jettison everything extra, figure out the one thing to go focus on, pull together with whatever your team looks like and go after that one thing to deliver. That one thing could be, you know, pulling a helicopter up off the bottom of the ocean, <laughs> or that one thing could be solving a customer's uh, immediate crisis. Um, and if you can get through that, um, you can come out the other end stronger, right? With a customer who who really values how you focused on them, how you got them through something hard. So, you know, again, it's kind of, I use that comparison, you know, which was top of mind just to sort of draw some of the similarities between, you know, serving uh, in the military on a, on a tight team and uh, serving, you know, with my current teammates at Flex uh, on, on a tight team as well. And we'll talk about Flex in just a little bit. Now, after you did the four years in the Navy, you decided it was time to go back to study. And especially business school. So, 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 why? Why business school? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the founding elements were, were what I'd said earlier. You know, being curious about business from my dad mainly. Um, but the other thing I recognized is, I mean, I'd learned a lot in the military. Um, things that are, you know, maybe that's one of the best places to learn them. But you know, when you get into sort of how does a business work and what does a P and L look like and you know, how does finance actually, well, I knew none of that stuff. You know, I went to business school and I was like, you know, in a class with a bunch of uh, folks who had been at investment banks for four years or consulting firms of four years. I had never even opened a spreadsheet before. Like I, you know, I had this amazing runway of stuff to go learn and I just devoured it. Um, 
it was it was like kid in a candy shop uh you know stuff i had i was an economics major in in uh, in college so i'd had a taste uh, but this was kind of going all in on learning about businesses and markets and and how to think about customers and how to think about differentiation it was awesome now for you you decided to go into private equity and uh, you know it's interesting like many of the people that i that i speak with that are super successful you know they either have come from private equity from consulting from investment banking those are like the three areas where i see people with amazing uh backgrounds uh that they've developed perhaps on on pattern recognition or whatever that is but in your case, being able to um, experience, uh, being on the other side of the table more as an investor. I mean, what do you think that that gave you and what, what opened up from that experience? Yeah, well, well, actually, you know, I was at Bain & Company on the consulting side and our customers were private equity Got funds. Uh, so I was doing the consulting work, but our customers, you know, that, that, that business on the consulting side started because they started doing work for Bain Capital. Uh, who was a private equity company, and after working on different projects for Bain Capital, helping them do diligence on on prospective investments, you know the the entrepreneurs at, on the consulting side said, "Hey, we can go sell this service to other private equity firms. It seems like there's a need out there." And they just built this what what came to be the largest practice area of the entire global consulting firm was the private equity practice. So being in on kind of the ground floor of that it was just crazy hard work i mean we were running 100 miles an hour for years um but it was learning at hyperspeed cuz what it basically boiled down to was these firms would would hire us to go deep on the one or two hypotheses that the deal the investment hinged upon so if the hypothesis was hey we think we can be a lower cost competitor we would go super deep on proving that out. Can this pr target prospect be the lowest cost provider? Or if the deal hinged on, hey, we think we can be a premium priced uh, product or offering, we would go super deep on proving that out. What are, the, what are the factors that would have you believe that this can be a premium price solution? And again, it, it, it it, it taught me a lot about how to do a lot of analysis and a lot of work, but it really taught me, again, the value of focusing in on the one or two things that matter most. And obviously for you, you know, essentially you, Seattle comes knocking. So you move to Seattle and yeah. right. I mean, obviously before, before Flex, which is what you're up to now, um, you, you were part of two initiatives. I mean, two companies that ended up going through acquisitions so I guess let, let's, let's like double click on that. So Equintive, right? So it was the company yep. that, that you started working there in Seattle. It ended up uh, uh, selling to Microsoft for $6 billion. So wonderful transaction. And I'm sure that was an incredible experience. In your case, what visibility did it give you to the full cycle of the life of a company? Yeah, it gave me tremendous visibility. <laughs> I joined, uh, I came out to Seattle in 99 to join this company. They had just closed their Series B round. This was in 1999. And within a few quarters, uh, we went public. So this was the, the internet bubble, uh, version one. And things were moving incredibly fast. We were growing at just ridiculous rates. Um, got public 13 days before the NASDAQ crashed, 13 days before the NASDAQ crashed, right? So what that means is 
you know, had we had a few more corrections on the S1, we would never have gotten out and we would, would have died as a company. Uh, had we raised capital, you know, several quarters earlier, we probably would have burned through it all because that's what you did. You spent as aggressively as you could to grow as fast as you could. And so, you know, from that uh, initial bang of an IPO and trading at crazy lofty valuations, within a year, we were trading below cash as, you know, half our customers went out of business, you know, the, the, the tech uh, multiples cratered, you know, a lot like they have recently, actually in a, in a far more exaggerated way than they have recently. And, uh, and then we had the opportunity to go actually build uh, from this core, which was a strong core business, to build a company that was durable. And, you know, it was just, it's kind of the best opportunity you could ask for to see that full life cycle, to go through the very, very high highs, very low lows. I mean, when we were trading below cash, we had investors saying, let's just fold up tent. Hold up the tent, give the cash back. It's going to be the best performing thing in our portfolio. <laughs> but of course, we didn't want to do that. We we believed in the vision, which was, you know, eyeballs are going uh, onto digital media. Ad dollars have to follow. And the market, the world needs a scalable technology platform to build all these transactions on top of. It's just, it's like that core belief was uh, so strong uh, and we had a position to build that company and and we did so it was tremendous and then also with uh, with at ready you know after you finished up the integration with microsoft where you were for a few years then you uh moved on you know the next day chapter was at ready where you were leading the operation there and and again another exit no um so you That's guys right. sold that to uh, to another ad network so I guess from that experience, which was, you know, about, you know, the same time, you know, which about, you know, six to seven years, what was your main takeaway, you know, uh, on the, as, a, as, a, as an operator? Yeah. You know, here's my main takeaway that you, you got to have a great strategy, got to have great product, you got to have great team. You, you also got to have some luck. I mean, uh, I've learned humility several times in my life. And, uh, you know, when I reflect on the Aquanum experience, which was a tremendous outcome. Um, you know, we had a great team, a great strategy, a great product, all those things. And we had luck along the way. I gave the example of going public just at the right time. You know, if it, the better we can do to recognize that that's an ingredient, I think the, the more effectively we can kind of stay humble, uh, you know, in contrast with the ad ready experience, um, you know, we did not have a great outcome. We sold the business, um, but it wasn't uh, a great financial outcome. And uh, in some ways, you know, uh, the, we, we were, quote unquote, unlucky. Uh, in other ways, we certainly could have executed better, but it, it's a humbling experience, right? And so, you know, you take these things with you. And, and uh, in 2013, we decided to start this company. And that's been, you know, that, that's been in, in the mindset as well. We got we to gotta do all the things we can control and be prepared for the things we can't control, you know, whether it's good luck, bad luck, whatever. You know, some people don't like the word luck, it, you know, things beyond your control, you know, know that they are going to happen and uh, you've got to factor that in to how you execute. And also, as they say, I mean, ideas, they take time to incubate, you know, they're there, they're dormant. We don't even know, you know, that they're yeah. there. Now, in your case, you know, I'm wondering, like, why were this, what were the sequence of events that needed to happen for you to be like, wow, you know, I got, I got to bring this company to life. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, back to the luck thing, let's call it serendipity. I mean, the serendipity behind the idea for Flex was was tremendous. So as I already said, I'd spent, I don't know, 12 plus years in advertising technology, right? Helping to create a category. There was no thing called, there was nothing, it didn't exist. The word ad tech didn't exist when this company was formed. There were other companies that started to uh, get created around the same time to go after the same opportunity, but ad tech wasn't a thing. So we were part of this journey of creating a whole new industry category, advertising technology. And in doing that, the business we built was fundamentally a tech platform that connected buyers of digital media with sellers of digital media. And they could all transact, buyers and sellers could transact on this common technology platform. That's the core of the business we built at Aquantiv. And then sort of, a, we were part of the, the next generation of that with AdReady. Only because I'd had that experience for so many years in ad tech, did the idea for Flex resonate so strongly with me. The idea came from an entrepreneur, uh, a guy I met at a party, um, who was building, had, had built a very nice business here in Seattle who had a need and his need was around warehousing. And he sought us out and said, Hey, I've got an idea for you. You know, businesses are very dynamic, but warehouses are very static, multi-year leases. So I have to sign a fixed financial obligation, uh, for multiple years based on a forecast that I can't, you know, it's ridiculous. I can't forecast my business with any degree of certainty. I'm growing very, very rapidly. I'm participating in this e-commerce thing. And uh, that was the core kernel. Like if you could create a technology platform that could allow for the sharing of warehousing services and warehousing capacity and monetize that through a flexible model, sort of pay as you go instead of pay for multi-year leases and big fixed chunks of capital, that would be really tremendously valuable. And again, only because I had had this prior experience in ad tech did that idea really, really resonate with me. You know, to that, you look back on your economics background, you think about, you know, the area under the supply curve and all that technical wonky stuff. And this just seemed like one of the best ideas I had ever heard. Nice. So then let's talk about the execution of this idea. I mean, what ended up becoming the business model of Flix? Yeah, the business model was uh, build a two-sided marketplace type of business uh, to offer customers a consumption-based model for warehousing services, right? Do that by building a software platform that is used for managing warehousing services. The core technology is warehouse management software or WMS in industry parlance. Right, So build that technology in a way that any customer could plug into it on the one side and all the different operating service providers, those who lease buildings and provide warehousing labor, could offer their services on this same platform. So you could aggregate supply provided in a shared model to customers who could take it down in fractional bits. Those fractional bits could be a portion of a building uh, or they could be uh, fractional units of time. So we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. 
Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every cell situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's asynchronous. I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com. It's just the Wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing business. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. And how difficult was to build the supply and the demand side of things? Because obviously when you are putting together, you know, something like this, I mean, it's um, it's definitely challenging because, you know, people talk about marketplaces like the chicken and the egg. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah. I've built marketplaces in the past, like the one-sided, the two-sided. And, and obviously, and in my end, I mean, when I think about the the chicken and the egg, I just want to shoot the chicken and step on the egg. I mean, it's just like super <laughs> frustrating. But but I guess in your case, how did you go about tackling this and really, you know, addressing the supply-demand issue? Yeah. It's such a great question. I love that expression. I may have to borrow it. So, you know, look, when you're starting from scratch, and it's, it was myself and my two co-founders, they are engineers, they had done early stage startups as well. So they knew how to build kind of scrappy V1 product. You know, it was just the three of us, though. So how, you, you know, we had, I, I mentioned there was a guy who brought the idea. Well, we went back to him and said, hey, uh, if we built this, would you buy it? So he was prospect customer number one. So I guess if you call the customer the chicken, and the supplier's the egg. So we had a chicken. So now you needed eggs, you know, or maybe it's the reverse, doesn't matter. So then we, what do you have to do? Go find a warehouse operator who had capacity and wanted to make extra money. Like it's kind of simple when you boil it down. And so what do you do? You get on the phone, you start cold calling. You know, you drive down to the warehousing kind of district south of Seattle and you go door knocking. You find somebody and it, the value prop's pretty good. Like, hey, you have space, you want to make some extra money? Like, let's try this thing. And so you start small. We found a warehouse operator. And, you know, this is actually worth a quick story. Uh, this company is a um, supplier of Halloween costumes and other holiday novelties to huge retailers, including Walmart. 
but Halloween's the big category. So guess what their warehouse looks like on October 30th? It's like there were guys skateboarding around this huge warehouse that was filled to the brim two weeks earlier. And it was this massively seasonal business. So we walk in there and we're like, hey, you want to make some extra money? They say, yeah, you know, I'll give that a shot. So then you have a warehouse operator, you have a customer, and uh, that's working. And then you go back to the warehouse operator and say, how about if I bring you more customers? He says, yeah, bring it on. So now you start cold calling to find more customers. So we really bootstrap this thing in a very, very kind of analog, basic way to get the business off the ground. And then, you know, sort of many, many years later, we're doing that at a much, much more sophisticated level, trying to balance, you know, the supply side with the demand side and set expectations uh, appropriately. But that's that's how you start. You start by being scrappy. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, you were you were alluding to the bootstrapping, you know, uh, component. I'm wondering, you know, obviously now, you know, you guys have raised quite a bit of money. So um, two questions here. So how much capital have you guys raised to date? And then also, what has been the experience, you know, of going from one cycle to the next? Yeah, we've raised about $240 million total um, through uh, a seed round through Series D, which we completed last summer. Um, you know, this experience has been pretty thrilling, I guess, is one way to put it. You know, we, we bootstrapped for the, like literally funded, self-funded, that's the more accurate term for the first year. Then we raised a little bit of seed capital. Uh, and we did not raise our Series A uh, for three years after the founding of our company because we were we were iterating on the business model, the pricing model, even the segments we wanted to go after. Are we going to try and build this for the SMB midsize market or for big enterprise customers? And we ultimately chose the latter. Um, but we raised our Series A in, in September of, uh, or sorry, the summer of 2016. You know, the B round came almost three years later. Uh, and then we've accelerated uh, the timing between the C rounds and the D rounds since then as the as the business has really, really uh, accelerated. So, you know, each time is a pretty thrilling experience. You know, we're a, um, we're kind of a unique business. We're a lot like other businesses, but we're not exactly like any other business. We are a marketplace model, but we're kind of a unique type of marketplace because we're B2B, and we're actually enterprise customer focused. So it's not really about, you know, going out and finding hundreds of small or thousands of small customers and building up a demand side that way. So we're kind of a special type of marketplace, very curated and less, you know, specifically automated. We are a pay as you go uh, value prop. So we're kind of like a consumption based tech model from a pricing perspective, you know, like a Snowflake or an AWS. So we've kind of, we, we have some traits in common with SaaS, but we're actually more like consumption-based. So, you know, we're a little bit like a lot of other things. And we are sitting in the center of one of the largest markets that has yet been transformed by digital technology. It's the logistics market. Logistics is over 8% of GDP. Think about that. It's over 8% of GDP. It's larger than financial services, like financial services all up, including consumer, investment banking, lending, you know, logistics is larger than that. And if you think about, you know, the digitization of the, of the enterprise, 
you know, you go through HR systems, you go through fintech, you go through sales and marketing and the digits, you know, digital platforms that now run a lot. Logistics is one of the last departments of the enterprise to go through a digital transformation. And, you know, we're in on the ground floor of that. So the market is massive. So again, when you go through a fundraising process, you know, there's a long-winded answer, but it boils down to this. Some investors look at this business and are incredibly bullish and enthusiastic. Others look at it with pattern recognition from other things they may be great at, like marketplaces. And they're like, well, you don't really look like a marketplace to me. So, you know, I'm not that, I'm not that interested. So it's a matter of finding the right match, the right fit with investors. And uh, we feel very fortunate uh, that we've been able to do that and um, have a tremendous tremendous portfolio of investors uh, who are helping us build this company. And just to expand on that, uh, Carl, because I thought that, that that was very interesting. How do you filter so that you can get to the perfect match that you are alluding yeah. to? Yeah. Here's the trick. Just be really honest and transparent. Like, this is what we do. <laughs> like, this is who we are. You know? And, and let people self-select in either what they hear is music to their ears or it's not you know let them self-select and to do that well you got to be your true self and that this is like i believe in this uh from finding your next job your next employer your you know if you're thinking about going to grad school you know like whatever it is you know there's got to be a great two-way fit for this to work and the best actionable thing you can do is just show your real stripes and uh, you'll get lots of people who pass. Um, everybody gets lots of people for the most part who pass, but, but you'll find that you end up with the right partner far more often than not. And, and also for the people that are listening to get an idea on the scope and size of Flex, I mean, anything that you can share in terms of number of employees or anything else that you feel comfortable sharing? Sure. Yeah, we're about 470 employees now. We don't really share uh, our financials, but um, we're pretty sizable these days. And uh, I think one of the most uh, exciting things about our business is as we've gotten larger, we're actually growing faster. We haven't done any M&A, so this is all like straight, you know, organic year-over-year growth. But our year-over-year growth this year was faster than last year. Uh, faster than the year before. I mean, we have to go back to when we were actually subscale. You know, it's easy to, relatively easy to grow really fast when you're you've got a tiny base. But um, we've got a really big base now, and uh, we're growing, you know, well over a hundred percent year over year. Wow. So, as we're thinking about growth, as we're thinking about future, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight, Carl, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Flex is fully realized. What does that world look like? You know, our vision for the industry is that goods will move relatively seamlessly around the world from their point of origin to their ultimate point of destination. And, you know, this is way out there, you know, call it, and, and you know, a couple of decades from now. And this isn't necessarily the vision for Flex. This is our belief on how things are inevitably going to get built and be operated. So just as, you know, if, if you sent an email with an attachment sometime in the last, you know, week, you didn't sit there and think, ah, what router am I going to route this file through? 
and is this going to go over a fiber optic cable or over a you know wireless connection and which wireless connection which protocol i wonder what browser the the recipient's using you know what email you know uh, uh tool like you have no idea you hit send your expectation is that message will be received without getting fragged you know and it'll get received quickly and it'll be a, a low price you know, per unit that you'll send that, you know, and, and then, and then the, the network just takes care of all that. In fact, you have no idea what's underpinning that. I don't know that the movement of goods will ever become that automated and that friction-free because, you know, the protons and neutrons are a lot harder to manage than the electrons, but it will start to approach that. And I say this a lot, we, you know, we talk about this when we onboard new employees. And I think some people are like, well, that, you know, what is that guy smoking? Like, really? That seems sort of, and I say, well, listen, look, how does it work at Amazon right now? How does it work at Amazon right now? Do you think if you're an Amazon merchant, you call up Amazon and say, hey, uh, could you guys send my little pink fuzzy slippers out from your Dallas warehouse? And could you put it on a UPS truck? Because I really like UPS better than, you know, FedEx. It's like, no. You have no idea where your pink fuzzy slippers are. How many warehouses are they in? You don't know. And do you care? You don't care. What do you care about? You care that they arrive in two days or one day. And you care what the cost per unit delivered is. And you care that, the, the, that there's a quality experience. That's what you care about. You care about the outputs. And you don't even know what the inputs are. And that's happening right now for almost 50% of the e-commerce sales in the U.S. across millions of merchants. So Amazon has already built this in a closed ecosystem. And I think that the open ecosystem, the other 50% of the e-commerce dollars, and then, by the way, the other 85% of retail, retail dollars that aren't e-commerce and aren't Amazon, that's going to become more automated, more technology-driven, more networked. Uh, and it'll start to look more like people buying the outcomes and technology platforms driven by analytics and data delivering the results. That's, That's the future that, that, that we expect. And, and Flex is going to be a big part of that. I love it. So that, that, that sounds like an incredible future, by the way. Now, now, if we're thinking about, you know, Looking, looking at the past, you know, we, we've been talking about the future. So let's look at the past. Let's say I put you into a time machine, Carl, and I bring you back in time to that moment where, you know, you were coming out of business school, you know, you were thinking about getting into, you know, business and, and, and perhaps even running companies and things like that. If you had the opportunity of having a sit down with your younger self and giving that younger self a piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? That's such a good question. I didn't launch my business career with an explicit goal of becoming a CEO or starting a company, neither one of those. I launched my career knowing I wanted to do interesting things in business and finding opportunities where I could really dig in and go deep. And, and there was sort of the thrill of the challenge you know, go find the hardest thing. That was kind of like one of the, one of the impulses behind deciding to be a Navy diver and not a Navy something else, which there's lots of great things to do in the Navy. It was kind of one of the hardest things. So go find the hardest thing and, and see if you can hack it. Um, 
So uh, what advice would I give my younger self? Um, boy, you know, I'd say <laughs> I'm super happy with the decisions I made. You know, this decision to leave Bain and Company, you know, where, where I was learning a ton, I was having a great experience. You know, I had there's lots more things I could go do there, you know, kind of leaving at a, at a peak moment and taking the risk to join this startup in Seattle, you know, doing internet advertising, which was sort of just absurd at some level, but it felt like, it felt like a risk worth taking. You know, I guess what I'd say is like, yeah, take those risks, you know, take, be calculated, of course, be as smart as you can, but like, take those risks you know, surround yourself as best you can with really smart people who you like to be around. Cause you know what? You're going to be around them a lot. Uh, <laughs> when things are cranking and, and growth is through the roof, you're going to be around them a lot. If things get tough, uh, and, uh, you know, there's layoffs or there's whatever, as I've experienced in my past, like you're going to be around them a lot. So, you know, I feel very fortunate. I've made some good decisions. I've had, as I said before, some serendipity along the way. Um, and uh, I would encourage my, uh, my earlier self to, to not be afraid of taking those risks again. That's very, very profound, uh, Carl. So I guess for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, just um, hit me up on LinkedIn. Or hit me up, just send me an email, K-A-R-L at flex with an E dot com. I love talking to uh, other entrepreneurs and, and uh, talking about business models. And um, I'd, welcome, I'd welcome questions or uh, uh, other perspectives from listeners out there. Amazing. Well, hey, Carl, thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Likewise, I really appreciate you asking me to do this. It was super fun. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.